will be found in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. James 1, 26 and 27. So our pastor and his wife will be back sometime on Tuesday. And uh, we're looking forward to their return. Amen. So my, there we go. If any man among you seem to be religious, I just, when I read this, I just have to stop right there. Because there's some people that seem to be religious, and then there's some people that are religious based on the definition. So James is, is trying to make a point here, right? If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, that's the first sign that you got a problem. But deceiveth his own heart, nobody made me say it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? So if you don't bridle your tongue, there's, the devil's not making you say that. It comes out of here. But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Your religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world in that order, right? So this last lesson we kind of finished up there under chapter 1 of Timothy, which is under part 1, the marks of true religion. And so we're going to move over to chapter 2 of, of the book of James, not Timothy. We're going to jump over there to number 10 where it talks about good works. Good works. So, I wanted to go to the, let's go to um, James chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 1 and go down to about verse 13. James chapter 2, verse 1. Through 13, I'll give you a minute to get there. I know I hear papers, pages rattling. People are getting into their Bibles. And so, amen. If you're there, say amen. All right. Sounds like a consensus. My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. And we, we treat the guy that with the nice, nice clothes and the gold ring, we treat him with the utmost of respect and honor. But the one that comes in that's, that's a little smelly, and their clothes don't, are a little disheveled, and they look like they haven't taken a shower in a while, we want them to sit in the back row. Isn't that what that's saying? Are you not, if you do this, are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Wow. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this rich of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. Hasn't he not do, done that? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? 
Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin. Can we do that as, as the body, as the church? Isn't he writing this to the church? He's not writing this to abject sinners, right? This is to the church. But if you have respect of persons, church, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, what point is he talking about? Having respect of persons, right? He is guilty of all. Wow. You can just, just one little point, just one little speck of, just one little tiny little aspect of it, and you can be guilty of the whole book. For he that, he, for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 13, for he shall have judgment. This I love this scripture. This is probably one of my most favorite scriptures in the Bible. For he shall have judgment without mercy. Who's he? Jesus. God will have judgment without mercy that he showed no, showed no mercy. That hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. You better have mercy. You know, I was, we were watching one of the camp videos from family camp and brother Harold Hoffman was saying, you know, Jesus is still on the mercy seat. He hasn't made it to the judgment seat yet. And so he said, I think I'd rather be sitting with Jesus on the mercy seat than usurping my place that I don't that I don't belong on the judgment seat. Something to that effect. We need to stay away from that judgment seat is what he was saying. So we need to stay on that mercy seat. We need to show mercy, have mercy, because what's the truth of the matter is we want somebody to show us mercy. So he's going to have whoever doesn't show mercy, God help you. And what is so what are we talking about here? We're we're talking about souls. We're talking about people. He just, you know, we just read in Matthew 25 about the those that said, Jesus, when did we see you hungry and fed you? When did we, and when did we not? When did, and what did Jesus tell both groups? When, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. And that's what he's talking about in this scripture in James. You know, isn't God the only righteous judge? I don't want to take his place. I don't. It's not my place. All right? So the woman at the well, he was talking about those that are poor but rich in faith, right? We're talking about pure religion. What did we read in Matthew in James 1.27? Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the widows and the orphans in their affliction, right? In their affliction. So he said it's the poor 
those that are poor in the eyes of the world, but rich in faith. And it's the most unlikely people that God has shown to use throughout the Bible. And I, and I go back to this, to this list, the woman at the well, the widow with the two mites. The woman that was caught in adultery, blind Bartimaeus, the man with the withered hand, and many others like these, they were the ones that, that we find having some, some of the most prominent stories referred to in the Bible. Why is that, do you think? Why did Jesus make it a point of telling those stories about those people? Because those were the people that he went to. And he was setting an example for his disciples and for us. What did the, the master of the house say when all those people that were bidden made excuse? What did he tell his servant? Go into the highways and the hedges and go find the lame, the halt, the blind, and all those that are just broken physically and go, I don't care what kind of condition they're in, bring them. Because I'm going to have some people at my table for this wedding feast. Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Are we doing that? It's the most unlikely people, the ones that the world has pretty much written off. And by by the terms of what that scripture that we just read in, in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, that could very well, in all likelihood, be us if we're not careful. You know, he was telling us, don't, don't, don't judge that. Don't judge the, the wealthy looking one, the one that we like and that has smells good and looks good and, and is pleasing to the eye and, and just forget about the one that, that comes in that smells and all those other things. And what was Jesus trying to point out when he brought up all these stories about the woman with the two mites and and all these things, and the, and the poor widow woman in the, in the Old Testament that she was going to make a cake and her and her son were going to die. And the prophet was sent and she was taken care of. What was, the, what was his point? He, Jesus was trying to tell us that he will, not he can, but he, he can, but he will take the most unlikely person and he'll use them the least in the kingdom, the Bible says, and he'll use them for his glory. In the eyes of, of, the, of the, the saved Jews, Paul was one of those people. They just wanted him gone. And they were trying to, you know, you ever prayed like that? God, get him. Sick him, God. Take him out. Right? Nobody in here has ever prayed like that. <clears throat> right? Get that person out of my life, right? Because life is uncomfortable. And I thought everything was supposed to be rosy, God. Get that thing out of my life. Paul tried to pray that, and it didn't work. And so what did, what did God do? He said, no, 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 no. He's, he's one I'm going to use. The one that we just want to write off and say, God will never save that one. Right? You ever thought that? Don't answer that. We sometimes do that, and it's a spirit, in my opinion. It's a spirit of judgment that can get on us if we're not careful, and we're just driving down the road, or we're walking through the mall, or wherever it is that we are, and we see somebody that just not doesn't look like they would make a good one of us. Can I put it that way? 
now that they're not worth my time, right? The the guy that's the gang member, you know, we're we're afraid to walk up and talk to somebody like that that looks like a, a thug. Let's just say it that way. Okay, nothing wrong with people that look. Like I'm just using that as an example. But those people have a soul, and those people have a heart, and those people have a history, and those people are hurting, and those people are are dying on the inside, and they're and they're unloved, or they were unloved by a mom or a dad, or they were abused at home, or whatever it, it was in their life, and that God caused them to go to that way. Because where, where do a lot of kids go that don't have any love at home, that don't nobody at home really gives you know one whip about them one way or the other, and so we're, they're going to find family somewhere, and they're going to go join a gang because the, what's the gang going to do? They're going to treat them like they're special, and they don't know the the other parts of that that they're going to get sucked into. But it doesn't matter. Something in them says, I need companionship. I need friendship. I need somebody to see me as valuable in whatever way. And so they're drawn to that. You know? But that's that's so shallow, and they don't know that. And here we are, and we're in our mind, we're passing judgment on people before we ever give them a chance. They'll never listen. Well, how do you know that? If God's telling you to say something to him, just say it. Because your mind is immediately going to say, oh, come on, God, really? That one? Come on. Right? We've got preachers and missionaries in our organization today. There are people that are doing ministry that if you would have saw them six months before they came to God, you would have said, no way. No way is that guy, he might get in church, but there's no way he'll ever pastor. There's no way he'll ever be a missionary. There's no way she'll ever do anything. But yet here they are. Because somebody loved them enough to listen to the voice of God and to speak something to them and plant a seed and bring them in. And the rest is history. Because somebody didn't take that, put themselves in that seat of judgment. So we're talking about pure religion. Aren't they the widow and the orphan? You know? I want to see, I don't know about you, but I want to see God. I want to see the most unlikely person in this city get saved in this church. And I want to see God turn their life around so dramatically and use them so dramatically that it just blows us all away. Don't you? Not so that we can have bragging rights and say, it's like, you know, my store sold the lottery ticket. (laughs) It's not like that. We don't get bragging rights. Jesus gets bragging rights. Right? I just would be privileged and honored if the Lord would just allow that to happen here. If we could bring somebody in like that, that we, you know, that are all covered with tattoos or whatever, you know, that it just seems like in your mind would just not fit. Right? Just just imagine somebody standing up here leading song service that's got a big tattoo right down the side of their neck, but they're dressed like me. And they're up here leading worship service. Just imagine that. 
Because there's a lot of people like that today that are covering themselves with those things. Does God want to save them? He absolutely does. But, you know, we want to pick and choose. Right? True religion. Right? James chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. We're going to move right down. Uh, I'm not going to belabor that. I'm not going to beat that dead horse, all right? We're, I think we understand what God is trying to say. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 18 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? We, though you, you can talk a good talk, right? And have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked, this kind of goes back to James 1.27, doesn't it? And destitute, and also Matthew 25, of daily food, it says if a brother. It doesn't say a sinner. It says if a brother. It's just somebody that, aren't they my brother and my sister? Doesn't every soul belong to God? Doesn't he say that? Every soul is mine, he says. In the Old Testament, I believe it's in Ezekiel or one of those prophets. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? What do your empty words mean to that person? Well, I'll pray for you. I'll pray that somebody else will give you their jacket. I'll pray that somebody else will take you down to McDonald's and buy you a value meal. But I'm not willing to do it because I don't have time right now. And my and my pocketbook's a little tight right now. And we'll come up with a hundred reasons why not. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. So, so Brother DeMuth, are you saying that in that scenario that I just said, that me taking time out of my busy schedule and stop, stopping to take that person and upsetting my calendar and my schedule to go feed them, is that faith? Is that works? Is that what it's talking about? Faith with, it, with works? Is that faith? What if God's sending you to, to minister to that soul? And sometimes it all starts with their belly, right? Isn't that why they do those, those breakfast things in the schools? Because the kids can't focus until they get something in their belly. And sometimes God's going to send you to minister to the person before you ever get to teach them one Bible study or speak one scripture into their into their mind, in their life, right? It's not going to be this this spiritual thing, right? It took us when we were in that church in Okinawa. There was this one guy. It took us a year, and not I don't mean us. I mean there were some people in the naval hospital that were ministering to this guy. It took them a year of talking to him and teaching him and spending time with him just to get him to come to church. 
And then he was still skeptical. And then he was still, I don't know, you know. And But finally, God's spirit got a hold of that young man. And when he did, man, everything, all the effort that they had put forth for all that year and plus was not in vain. You know, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. And God gave the increase. And so we... I wrote down here, profession of faith does not equate to possession of faith. You know, we can talk a good game, but can you live up to what you're saying? We can, we can talk about being how good, how apostolic we are and, and all those things, and we can say all the right phrases and the right words and talk all the right lingo, but do we do we step out on our faith and put it in action? Do we go outside of ourselves? Because what did Jesus say? You've got to die to this, self. Self is going to tell you not to do that. It's my money. I don't have to buy them lunch. It's It's my money. Really? Be careful saying that. <laughs> Sorry, it's not yours. Without him, you wouldn't have it. He's letting you keep 90% of it. Blessed. Because you're willing to give back with the part that he's asking you for. Right? And even that part is not really yours. That car you're driving, it's not yours. Yeah, I know you went down to the dealership and you bought it with your paycheck. You feel that God didn't come fill the paperwork out. I know. But it's still not yours. If you believe what this book says, like Sister Bell just said, we're stewards of his blessings. If you don't believe that, go look, read the book of Job. <laughs> God let him have all those possessions, and then what did God do? He let it all go away. All of it. Not only his camels and horses and sheep and goats, but his kids and everything. And his health. So don't, do you think that God can't let that happen to us? If that meant the difference between me being saved and me being lost, wouldn't you think I'd want that to happen? And there was just something in Job's spirit that God needed to deal with. And it took that much to get down to that one thing so God could deal with Job so that he could go forward and be God's chosen man. I would not want God to leave one little thing inside me, one little spirit, one little you know, thing that's just stuck in my crawl that, that's going to keep me from being saved. Would you? So it's not about just professing it. We've got to possess it. And how do we show our, that we possess faith? By our actions, by our works. True faith has to be demonstrated, has to be exercised in and through action. You know, we have our faith promise service. And what's the point of the faith promise service? You, you listen to God and, and, and some of us don't want to do that because we're afraid God's going to tell us to give $10,000 more than we got. Right? We are. And then when He does say that, we're going to go, that's, that's me, not God. Well, what if that is God? You better you better pay attention to that. 
we we had a missionary. He's passed away now, but he had he had saved ten thousand dollars up. So because they were coming home on deputation, and he had plans for that money. And we when they got home, well, even before they got home, God told him, "That's not for you. That's for something else." And when he went to his wife and said, "I gotta God, I gotta confirm this with her," well. She God had already talked to her. <laughs> and so God confirmed it. And they had to give that money away. After all the effort and all, he was being a good steward of his finances and, and all that. And God made him give it away. And God took care of them, that missionary. Above and beyond that amount, that was like pennies compared to what God did for that, that husband and wife, that missionary. So don't think that God won't give you something that that is just beyond your imagination, because he will. And that's the thing about faith. He's expecting us to act without knowing the outcome. Right? To open our mouth and say, I'll give 10,000. And your wife looks at you and goes, what did you just say? (laughs) Right? That's what God told me to do. Okay. Hallelujah. Right? But then God provides it. And he's waiting for us to step out on faith. But, you know, pride and self-will and all those things will get in the way. We'll talk ourselves right out of a blessing if we're not careful. Right? James 2, 19 through 25. Trying to button this thing down. I'm not going to beat that one either, but... Suffice it to say that faith without works is dead. And we can sit here and be faithful to the house of God and faithful in our tithes and all those things. are, And those are good things. And we need to be those things. We need to be faithful in prayer and faithful to one another. Right? Faithful to our doctrine and all those things. But if we're not taking that that faith and exercising it outside this building, then we're just... Are we just going through the motions? I won't say we are. I'm going to ask, are we? Could we be just going through the motions and calling it faith? Right? You say you have faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Right? God's just looking for somebody to just exercise their faith. Right? James 2, 19-25 said, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, thou know, O man, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Wow. Faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his... Son, upon the altar, seest thou how faith wrought with works? And by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see how, then, how by works a man is justified, and not by faith only, not by professing it, but by acting upon and proving that you believe God. 
Likewise, also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit, what an analogy, is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So once again, we're, we're talking about exercising our faith. And is, is our faith, it says right there in the notes, perfecting faith. So is, when we, when we come to God, we are exercising faith, right? When we, we come to a church service or two or three or we meet somebody that teaches us a Bible study and they start planting seeds of this word in our mind and we start thinking about it and dwelling on it. We might even go out and buy a Bible and start reading it and, and so we come to the church house and, and there's, we, we enjoy the services and time goes by and there's this one service where this preacher comes to preach and we feel God drawing us to the altar and so we step out of our pew, we come up to the altar and we receive the Holy Ghost. We're exercising faith by our actions. Sitting back there, I mean, you can receive the Holy Ghost back there, you can receive the Holy Ghost anywhere. But we're exercising our faith. We don't know what the outcome is going to be when we say, okay, I, you know, the book says I need to be baptized in Jesus' name and, and there's water, so I, okay, I'm going to go do that. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We just know we got to do it. Right? So our faith is, as one person said, like a muscle. You got to exercise it. And as our faith gets stronger, as we exercise it, should it, right? Because God's going to give us little tests and trials and things to, to help us increase our faith, perfecting our faith. That word perfecting doesn't mean perfect in the sense that we understand the word perfect like flawless. doesn't mean that. It means a maturing faith. So we should be maturing in our faith. And how do we exercise our faith? By our works, right? So we should be like stretching our tent posts, if you want to put it that way. We should be exercising our faith in greater measures each time. You know, when you're working out in the gym and you start doing curls and you you don't have very much muscles, you start using really light weight, like three pounds or five pounds to do your curls. But after a while, that gets really easy so then you go bump it up to 10 pounds well then after a while of doing them regularly that gets really easy so you got to bump it up to 15 or 20 pounds and then they don't make dumbbells big enough so then you got to bump it up to a bar with a bunch of weights on both ends right <laughs> but you know what i'm talking about <laughs> and so what happens over time is you keep tearing those little making those little microscopic tears in your muscles and then when they heal back, the muscle keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon you got these Arnold Schwarzenegger guns, these biceps, man. And you know, you could pick up a, you could pick up a Hummer, right? <laughs> By yourself, right? No, no, no. I'm not saying I'm not advocating that we all go out to the gym and start working out, but I'm saying that we, that's how we got to exercise our faith. You know, when I say names like Lee Stone King and people like that, and those people had to start exercising their faith when they were a young Christian. 
and I'm, I'll guarantee you, if I can say it this way, I guarantee you that he made mistakes in exercising his faith. But that's how we got to learn, right? You don't do it perfect the first time, do you? When you're learning a new trade, when, when, when somebody's being trained at, at um, where you work on how to work with wood, they might not do it right the first time. They might cut it just a little too short the first time. Now you got to throw that board aside and start all over again. But how are they going to learn? Right? you got to make mistakes in order to learn. And God knows that. He doesn't give us monumental, you know, giant faith at the beginning. He gives us enough faith to start working with, and he expects us to exercise that faith. Right? Praise God. So I guess my question is, are we exercising our faith? Are we perfecting our our faith? Are we putting works with our faith? Are we, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I gotta seek God for myself. Cause He's gonna use you in different ways than He's gonna use me. Right? Cause you got gifts and talents and abilities I don't have. So I want God to use my gifts and talents and abilities that He gave me and I want Him to exercise my, help me to exercise and perfect my faith, don't you? Amen. Because we are the only Jesus that the people outside this building are ever going to see. And I want to have enough faith to trust and believe that when God's telling me to stop and turn here and go in and say something to somebody, whether I understand it or not, whether I like it or not, whether they look like the right person or not, I want to be able to just trust God and just say, okay, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. So that, And when you do that, God will just he'll blow your mind. Because it'll work. Because he sent you to do it. And you exercise faith. And what's going to happen when that happens? You're going to go, yes. I heard from God. Humbly, you're going to say this. And and he told me to say this. And I went and said it. And it worked. So the next time he does that, you're going to be that much quicker to move on it. Right? And he don't believe that he won't start using you. That's that's how people that are that are great soul winners become great soul winners. They're not anybody special. They're just exercising their faith. They might be the most shy person you ever met in your life. But they're just exercising their faith. They're not judging people. They're just thinking, man, I was an abject sinner when God saved me, and I'm I'm gonna give everybody out there a chance. You know? It's like I keep telling this story about the guy in my unit in Okinawa. When, when I finally said something to him, he said, ah, it's about time you said something. I've been waiting for you to come and talk to me. <laughs> yeah, I felt like that. And it, it just it did something to me. I thought, man, I, I had been hearing God telling me for weeks, and I hadn't moved on it. Out of what? Fear. Oh, he might turn me down. He might not like, well, you know, that's not up to us. Right? It's it's our job to to minister to, to those that are lost. And if they make the decision they don't want this, that's not my responsibility. I'm going to pray for them, but i got to move on to somebody else that is hungry. Right? If the salesman selling vacuum cleaners took 
10 no's and said, I'm not doing this anymore. This is stupid. I'm never going to sell any vacuum cleaners. He will never sell any vacuum cleaners. But you got to take a bunch of no's till you finally find a yes. Right? And we're selling something way more valuable than vacuum cleaners. Am I right? There's nothing that I would do. There's nothing in this world that I could exchange for what God did in my life. And if we could just get that across to people, you just you don't know. You just got to come. You just, you know, we're, we're that vessel. We are that one. If we'll just exercise our faith. God, thank you for this lesson today. Lord, minister to us in the remainder of this service. Go with us, Lord, as we go on our break and help us to come back.